HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Item 13, an African food podcast, and I'm your host, Yom Akuaku. Every week, we'll delve into the delicious world of African food, including chefs, curators, and bloggers. Here's the show. So, season nine and new year 2023, I'm incredibly honored to have as my first guest for the season... Chef Salasia Kadika, um, both from Ghana. So I'm excited to talk to another <laughs> Ghanaian uh, native. Um, a little bit about Selassie. She's worked with the United Nations for over a decade, after which she, she self-taught herself in the culinary arts. So she completed coursework on the CIA in New York and Midunu, which is her nomadic and private dining enterprise in Accra, embodies the idea of new African cuisine, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Um, it celebrates culinary heritage through culture, community, and cuisine intersection, intersecting at the crossroads, if you will, of environment, sustainability, and economy. We'll talk a little bit about in- industry um, also in this conversation, but um, thank you for joining me on the show today, Celeste. Extremely honored to have you with us today. Thank you so much. It's great to actually get a chance to talk to you again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, we haven't seen each other in years because of COVID, um, but uh, glad we have this forum to chat. So I always start our conversations with um, having people share their early memories around their relationship with food, right? So to the extent that you're open to sharing, if you can tell us a little bit about, and it almost always, I'm going to guess, starts mm-hmm. with people's moms or their grandmas in the kitchen, <laughs> but I'll yes. let you, you sort of open up and share um, what that what that was for you. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, early memories um, are um, actually in Ghana. Um, mm-hmm. 
And um, it was really just kind of following everyone around the kitchen and imitating <laughs> actions and motions. So, um, you know, well, in Ghana, we have sort of like the African kitchen, if you will. So behind the, the like sort of modern kitchen, there's this small terrace. Um, and that's where we used to do the pounding and all the sort of heavier stuff. And it was just following everyone around and just mimicking the actions and the, and the motions that they were doing there. Um, after that, I think a lot of my memories um, are of my mom making things like Gary photo when mm. we were living in the U.S. Yeah. on Sunday. Um, we would come back from church and that was just like a nice, quick and easy meal to put together for the family. Um, my mom cooked a lot. And so um, I was the oldest and I had the oh, I mean, I I loved it. I, I loved joining her in the kitchen. Um, earlier on, I actually used to uh, compliment her, meaning that um, she would do the Ghanaian dishes and I kind of did more of the desserts or the other things that she wasn't oh. doing. I, you know, I, I decided I didn't want competition. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was really about like, okay, mom's doing this. Like, let me try to do something else that, that will add to the menu that will add to the meal. So my early days were just like, I did a lot of baking when I was younger, when I was in elementary school, I used to make bread, um, kind of like, you know, the easy ones for kids where you like shape it like a teddy bear. So it's like one round <laughs> head, little ears, you know, yeah. um, so used to do in terms of like what I would do. But my mom, um, because we moved to New York when I was about six years old, mm. um, and those were the early days before like Ghanaian ingredients and other sort of like uh, things were easily available. She used to make her own shito. And shito, um, for those who don't know, is, is um, it's like a preserved chili paste um, where you take um, sort of the papua shito, the green chilies from Ghana, um, ginger, onions, uh, shrimp um, powder, which is dried shrimp that's been crushed up, and then um, fish powder. And it's cooked down until it actually becomes black and, and it's actually preserved. And um, so... Um, that that is just one of those things that I have all these memories from mm. my mom making that. I mean, the whole house, it's such a strong smell, but like yeah. those are the <laughs> smells that I have. Um, my mom would make kenke, so she would buy cornmeal um, and ferment it. We had this bowl. And to this day, whenever I'm like making a salad in my mom's kitchen, I'm like, where is that kenke bowl? So, so there's a, a bowl that she used to keep um, cornmeal in and she would pour water on it and leave it to ferment for, I think it was about five days mm. on the counter. And then she would um, sort of go to the, you know, bodegas in the neighborhood and oh, like kind of um, get the corn, tamale, the tamale. So. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Like, you know, I, my, I learned how to make kinky in my, you know, mom's kitchen, but it was because we didn't have any other options. And so she would just kind of create this stuff and it tasted great and um luckily now as you know we're all getting older and she's getting older she doesn't have to do it from scratch but it was amazing to watch because even now when, that I'm living in Ghana it's not something you see people doing on a regular basis yeah I was just gonna say like you've just shared with me something I need to try for myself we we're talking offline um it, and it's interesting when I talk to people now and you talk about their first experiences moving to the U.S. Because mm -hmm. I didn't move to the U.S. until I was older, like 18 or 19 for college. And mm -hmm. um, pretty much everybody knows now that I have a daughter. And I think about what her experiences will be like growing up in the U.S. So mm -hmm. I take notes from people like, I'm like, oh, I can actually be painting someday. Like, what do you go in there in the kitchen? Um, yeah. So that that's great. Um, and yeah, I think about those food memories and how to recreate them in 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 this context, I guess. And I think even beyond that, I think even in the Ghanaian context, it's like I remember um, during COVID in Ghana, it was like, 
you know, you were being careful about where you bought things. And so it was like, do I want to make my own kenke? Or you're in an apartment and how do I make fufu without having to pound and like annoy my neighbors, right? So I think as we get into modern times, there's going to be a question of, you know, do I stop eating that? Or where do I get that? Or do I eat it less? Or do I eat it only when I'm in Ghana? Do I eat it only in a restaurant? Do I come up with sort of um, little um, hacks that I can do at home? Like, you know, a lot of people are now using their food processors to make yeah, food. So just like, say. <laughs> yeah, the food processor. Someone has a TikTok hack using a food pro- combination of the food processor and I think a microwave. Like I'm just, yeah, I'm just in awe of all of that. <laughs> and I, I'm here for it because I also remember growing up, um, for those for those who are from Ghana and are familiar with Accra, I grew up in Kolo because my mom was a doctor and we lived in, in flats or apartments for, for the Americans. And so mm-hmm. you couldn't pound fufu like in a, in in the flats, right? So we there was also a designated area. So like on Sundays you see people carrying their porters yes. and vessels and like downstairs. This whole group of downstairs, this whole group of people mm-hmm. pounding fufu Sunday after church. So that also some you just evoked some of those memories um, <laughs> for me. Um, so then you go from, you know, work, you know, cooking alongside your mom. Um, and at this time you're, you're in the U.S. now, you eventually yeah. end up working in, with the U.N. Yes. How do you take those collective experiences and end up with meeting? <laughs> I mean, for me, it's, it's, I can see the logic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if my parents did because they were like, we're a doctor engineer. <laughs> yeah. How, what's happening right. here? Um, but, um, for me, I think that, you know, my family left in the early eighties when, Mm -hmm. um, we had political unrest and I, I, I really, when I moved to the U S the plan was really to become a doctor. So in high school, I was doing all kinds of crazy experiments and making anesthesia, making aspirin. Um, I was working in a science lab, um, at a medical school. Um, so I was doing, you know, um, E. coli research for, um, supporting cancer research that was happening at the university there. So it's always been around science. And yeah. then when I moved to, to um, went into university, it was like, okay, this is not my thing, <laughs> but um, I really want to still support and help people all over mm-hmm. the world. And then it made sense to me to join the UN and use my skills and talents to support other people that were in um, humanitarian yeah. need. And so ended up doing that, um, ended up missing food from home and then transitioned from being more of a baker to now learning Ghanaian ingredients. Uh, and making Ghanaian food for myself when I was not at home and then traveling through the continent. So I ended up working um, within the continent and traveling to over 44 African countries. Oh, my goodness. And um, through that, I mean, I ate really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I love asking people questions. So for me, there's just a, a lot of curiosity Um having seen how we interpreted our food, just seeing how people cook and what people did with their ingredients, um, whether in good times or bad. So for example, when you see people in great times, you're seeing what they're making and how they're utilizing every single ingredient, but also tasting really amazing food that I never knew about. And also realizing that I was really privileged to have tasted it because so many other people would never have had that opportunity. Um, And then on the other side, I started seeing um, and understanding the issues around food security, not being just about uh, access to food, but also about how we eat, um, the stories we tell ourselves about food, the stories that communities uphold and and the traditions and the practices around food, how some of that can actually limit our nutrition. And um, realizing that actually a lot of this has to do with social behavior change that can be supported um, through 
just information sharing. And mm-hmm. um, so when I I sort of decided that food became this thing that I was obsessed with, um, I decided to do it full time. And I went to the CIA, you know, took the course there to sort of just learn the vocabulary, understand mm-hmm. what people were working with, but then knowing that the real education had already happened or was already uh, happening in Africa and, and my travels that I was making around the continent. Um, for me, the name Midunu is like, in Eva, we say, you know, come, let's eat. Yeah, but I need to know for this. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to come and join, um, join people as they're, they're eating. And so I wanted it to go beyond that. So part of it is I'm inviting you to eat. And then there's another part of it, which is food should be for everybody. So I think for me, it's really that idea that we should continue to share and everyone should have access. Um, so I moved to Ghana and um, started this pop-up, um, which was sort of these nomadic dinners around mm-hmm. the city, um, using local ingredients and trying to add value to them, trying to put pride and dignity back in our cuisine. Mm-hmm. On a lot of the trips that I was doing with my colleagues um, when I was with the UN, they were kind of like, mm, I don't really know about African food. I'm <laughs> not sure. And I'm like, you know, first of all, it's delicious, but also, you know, you there's so much that we don't know about the food from the, the continent that it's important for us to actually share that as far and as wide as possible. And so that was the platform that I I decided to to share my food through. Um, and uh, the food has been, I call it new African cuisine because it's not, especially from my, at my table, it's not necessarily only about Ghanaian cuisine. Um, it's about some of the lessons that I've learned in the African kitchens that I have traveled to and I've eaten at. Um, so we're talking about bold flavor over fat. So in terms of our, we live in the danger zone in the continent. So the temperatures like for the, you know, kitchen danger zone, meaning that the temperatures are high. So bacteria can, you know, propagate. Um, so we always have to preserve our food. We don't want the food to spoil. So you'll see throughout, you know, a lot of salting, drying, fermentation, um, you know, that happens and smoking that helps us to preserve our, our ingredients. And that's a big part of our flavor profiles that you'll see. Um, other ones that I saw was, you know, sort of the no waste using everything. So, for example, a lot of people don't know you can eat sweet potato leaves and they're delicious, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's really trying to just showcase uh, some of these lessons that I learned and, and putting them on the table um, so that people can sort of have a sense of, for me, what I, I think when I think about my food is trying to bring culture, community, and cuisine together mm-hmm. uh, and juxtapose it with um, environment, sustainability, and the economy. So the more we're eating the local ingredients within the continent or you know the ingredients that are important to the continent, the more we're supporting those economies. The more we're eating what grows where we live, the more sustainable our diets are. Um, and the more we're able to have these conversations um, about the environment. Yeah. So that's kind of, for me, what well, you know, a lot of people are like, does it mean it's beautiful, fancy plates, like new African cuisine? And I'm like, no, it's actually almost um, a play on words because it's not necessarily new, but it's actually more like the going back to basics and and really seeing how to integrate what we already have um, to create more. Yeah. And, and I think I so, so much to say back to that one, just play, you know, this idea of new African cuisine to, to your comment just now, I remember. Um, having being at one of your dinners with um a group of older <laughs> older women like my I'm like my mom and her friends mm-hmm. yeah. and 
um, their reaction to your food was really interesting to me in that, like, in terms of the questions they were asking, what it brought mm-hmm. back for them, and the way in which it was presented. I thought, to your point, it's not new in the sense that, like, we haven't had it before, but it's yeah. it's more just going back in some ways. Yeah. Like, re- I, I, reintroducing. Um, exactly. It's a, yeah. it's a reintroduction. And I think, for me, one of the most important things is that there is nobody in the world that wants to stay where they are. What I mean by that is we all want to aspire for something. So if we want, and food is dynamic and Mm -hmm. cuisine is dynamic, culture is dynamic. So if we want this to continue to live on, we have to find a way to make sure it's relevant in the context we're in. And the more ways we can utilize these ingredients, um, the more relevant they are, the more they can spur the economy and the longer they can live on. So, for example, with my mom, she grew up in northern Ghana and um, she lives in New York now. I remember, you know, I came back and I was like, wagashi this, wagashi yeah. that. And she was like, what is wagashi? And I was like, it's a cheese, you know. And and um, we talked about it. And, she, and the same with a lot of Ghanaians, because a lot of people still definitely see me as an outsider. Like, I'm mm-hmm. definitely the foreigner that's come back sort of in many ways. And I love having these dinners where I had friends who grew up in Ghana in Accra and they're like what is this I'm eating I'm like it's wagashi it's a cheese made by you know and they're like we have cheese and I'm like yes we have cheese (laughs) (laughs) and and then I was like by the way you're welcome the foreigner is teaching you something (laughs) because the thing is we we, you know you need to be curious right yeah Um, so the more curious we are like you can actually understand they're like oh I've eaten it before but I didn't Mm. know what it was yeah that's funny um and then, so when you're not cooking at the meet in your house, you're speaking mm-hmm. at conferences, you're hosting dining experiences around the world. Um, mm-hmm. I want to share with the audience here what your your goal, what your objective with doing that is in terms of the message that you're sharing with the rest of the world about uh, food. What are you hoping that people take away from that? What actions are you expecting people to make as a result of you spreading the word yeah so I mean um for me there's my my personal goal is Mm -hmm. to one is really to share and educate people Mm -hmm. um to hopefully stimulate their curiosity um and their respect for African Mm -hmm. cuisines the second part is to create the demand and the interest to eventually make sure smallhold farmers who are producing ingredients and products will eventually be able to have living incomes to continue to do this good work, to maintain these traditional techniques uh, and ingredients. Um, So in terms of like an audience, when I'm speaking to an audience, I think I'm hoping for three main takeaways. One is for them to walk away knowing feeling that they want to learn more Mm -hmm. and that they want to educate themselves better about um, African cuisines, whether it's a curiosity about reading more African cookbooks or going to an African restaurant or um, going to flying into one of the countries and learning more about, uh, you know, hands on, you know, I think that's important for us to to have that knowledge. It's not just for me to share my knowledge, but for everyone to seek the knowledge. The second is to open up their, their um, community, their networks, their table to more and more African produce, food producers, food makers, um, agricultural lists, and to kind of open up and see how to allow these storytellers to share their stories within whatever community and networks they have. 
And then thirdly is to put money into African businesses. And by doing so, you know, we're creating and changing the the value, the, the food economy. You know, the more we're eating these ingredients, the less likely they are to go extinct, the less likely that we're all going to just focus on, you know, the four main crops, rice, soy, you know, wheat and, and corn. Like we all need to go beyond that, um, especially as we're talking about, you know, how are we going to feed the planet in X number of years? Like we need to bring new new ingredients. We need to not only bring new ingredients, but preserve what is there as well. Yeah, I, mean, I think that that's great. And the work that you are doing, I spoke to Chef Pierre a couple of months ago. I feel like you, Chef Pierre and others, it's critical work, right? And to your point about what it does, and not just in educating people, well, people on the continent too, but then also outside of outside of the continent, but then also mm-hmm. the loop back in terms of creating um, a market yes. that then creates a sustainable, livable income for those working in the food, food economy. I think it's really mm-hmm. important. So thank you for the work you do. With that... We like I now want to talk spe- about one specific ingredient: um, uh-huh. cocoa chocolate. Yes. Um, so I don't know that we mentioned that yet, but you also have <laughs> a line of chocolates. Um, yeah. And for those that have listened to the podcast for a long time now, you know I've talked about the challenges of Ghana specifically, but then also Ivory Coast as a couple of leading. Um, cocoa producer, producing countries mm-hmm. in the world, the challenges we have from the producers, you know, along the entire chocolate value chain. Selassie is an expert in this space. I'm happy <laughs> to have you uh, chime in on on what we like, for, at least for those that have been following me for a long time, what we've been talking about when it comes mm-hmm. to cocoa. So one, I wanted to start to talk about the industry, specifically the challenges that you see, especially as you're creating your own um, chocolate products. And then uh, mm-hmm. we'll we'll wrap up towards the end talking about your specific product line and what yeah. you offer for people to to try. Um, yeah, so then I mean, let's start with the chocolate industry. So mm-hmm. a primer for those that may not be familiar, um, Ghana is a leading producer of cocoa. Let, maybe let's talk about that value chain and the impact of Ghana as a you know producing country. Yeah. So I mean, um, I think it's what is it like seventy over seventy percent of the world's cocoa comes from West Africa. Um, and very little of it is actually processed in country. So it's been an extraction economy from the beginning. Um, cocoa is not indigenous to Ghana. It was, you know, um, something that came to our shores. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the legend has it, um, that Tetekwashi, who is, uh, was a, um, a blacksmith came from, um, what is now present day Equatorial Guinea. He was working there, was working with missionaries. And when he came back with his, um, blacksmith toolbox he had some cocoa pods or cocoa beans in there and planted them in Ghana and um, we actually still have part of the land that he used as the first sort of cocoa farm in in Ghana Um, now fast forward to you know sort of the colonial extraction cash crop economy the idea is that we grow the cocoa and it's sold Um, I think at the initial days it was something that kind of worked because it was like okay so we can use the income from cocoa to put into social services, whether it's schools and education, but that's really hasn't, I don't think it's fully been, um, you know, optimized, but the legislation that exists still very much says that cocoa should be sold. And then um, that money, that Forex is then used for different things. Um, now, fast forward to now where we have a bunch of artisanal and small makers at small and medium-sized businesses um, 
that are, you know, some Ghanaian owned that are in, in the country that are trying to produce chocolate. It's um, a different environment and we're all trying to figure out what needs to happen. Um, so there are there are a lot of artisanal makers. There's a few medium uh, size enterprises as well. But legally in Ghana, I or any sort of individual cannot purchase cocoa beans from a cocoa farmer. It is still to this day illegal. Whoa. <laughs> yes. Um, so the process is it needs to go through um, the government is the right first right of refusal. So the government buys all the beans and then um, sells them through license buying companies. And these license buying companies um, to set one up, you know, you can imagine they're quite um, right. uh, expensive and it would be very difficult for a smallholder to be able to do that. And so um, that's so basically the beans are the government is supposed to provide inputs to farmers, smallhold farmers who then grow the beans, they harvest the beans all manually by hand, they cut the pods open, they ferment using banana and plantain leaves, and then they, that's for seven days, and then after the seven days, they have to leave it to sun dry outside their homes, because all of these are smallhold farms, they're not like massive industrialized farms, so imagine that they're doing it like one or two households at a time, and that's what they're Mm -hmm. doing. And then they are now selling it once the beans are dried and looking sort of like toasted almonds, I guess. Um, that's at the level at which they sell to the um, the, the cocoa, bo- like the, the the government body that purchases it. Well, so for 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 the Ghanaians that are listening, is this are we talking about cocoa board then? Cocoa board, I kind of liken it to the the UN. It's like okay. a bunch of different uh, <laughs> families. So it's, it's it's I think it's called uh, PBC is like the one that purchases the beans. Mm. And then they purchase the beans and then they then have companies that are licensed by Cocoa Board to sell. So it's not Cocoa Board directly. It's actually a licensed buying company or actually it's Cocoa Board or licensed buying company. So you have to make your application and be certified to 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 sell the the beans. Yeah. And um, as of today, we would have to buy from a licensed buying company. So when I um, I'll, I'll share that part later. But so you. The licensed buying companies are then the outlet at which we purchase the beans, um, if you're purchasing beans. And then, um, so we are right now sort of in this space of discovery. So the question we're all asking is, now that there is capacity to grow, uh, to um, and there's interest to have the industry sort of actually producing at source, what does that look like? What legislation is required and what additional support needs to happen? Um, having done this, I mean, for me, let's, okay, I'll just give you an example, a chocolate bar. Okay. Let's take a milk, a milk chocolate bar. Okay. Yeah. A milk chocolate bar. Let's say like, um, I'm not going to do like one of these super, um, artisanal ones. I'll just say like an, an average chocolate bar has five ingredients, milk chocolate bar. The first ingredient is cocoa mass, which is basically the cocoa be- beans mm-hmm. that have been toasted and ground down. And the next ingredient would probably be sugar. Right. So then the next ingredient could be potentially vanilla. If you're having a milk chocolate, you have milk powder and then maybe something like lecithin to stabilize because we're in a humid environment. So that's kind of like the five ingredients. Right. Then in Ghana, cocoa mass comes from the cocoa beans. We have that. Not a problem. Ghana, we have sugarcane, but we don't have sugar. There's like a world mafia around sugar. So we don't have sugar. We have to import it. Then vanilla, we don't grow it. So we'd have to import it if you wanted to make that one. Then milk powder, we don't have a dairy industry. And, you know, so you'd have to import the milk powder. It has to be a powder. It it can't be a liquid because uh, chocolate doesn't like humidity and heat. 
So that's another comment for after. And then the last one is lecithin. So lecithin is also something that we don't produce. So out of the five ingredients that would be in a, like a commercial chocolate bar, only uh, one of them is actually readily available in Ghana. So when we talk about the industry, the industry needs a lot of um, inputs and or um, new industries that need to come alongside the chocolate because it's not just the cocoa that, you know, is needed to make chocolate. So um, some examples are, you know, the ingredients that I'm talking about, the packaging, um, the technicians, uh, the equipment. So, for example, if you're chocolate making, there's no local producer of this, these equipments. You're actually importing them and paying a heavy duty on them. Um, it, you also, if you do import that machine, when it breaks down or has a problem, you don't have anyone that is, the companies are not having their headquarters or even like a, a sub office there. You're going to actually have to figure out how to repair your equipment through technical assistance by phone or someone who doesn't really know that specific equipment, but can figure it out. Um, so we also don't have, you know, major programs where food scientists are learning about the chocolate industry at the level at which we need. So these are all like, you know, small ideas, but these are all things that need to happen. Let's say in 10 years, if we put together a solid plan that needs to happen for us to eventually get to a place where, you know, it becomes easier for an artisanal maker yeah. to, to kind of come online. All right. So I would like to dig into your specific process and your product okay. line and everything that you do. But um, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive into that. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back. <laughs> so let's talk about me doing chocolate specifically. Like, I want to understand why mm -hmm. you started to, why you decided to become uh, a chocolate maker mm -hmm. and um, talk a little bit about your product line. And then just in, in the context of the challenges that you mentioned earlier, how you're sort of navigating those as well. Yeah, I mean, the 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 shortest answer um, to why I became a chocolatier is because I didn't know any better. <laughs> the, the the devil the devil is in the details. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, we started doing these dinners um, 2014 in Ghana, and at the end of the meal, I was offering. So the whole dinner, all the dinners are really about how do I you know add value to local ingredients, and the most obvious ingredient that we were not adding value to was cocoa. So I started making these sort of truffles for the end of the meal. 
And um, eventually people started asking for the, the chocolates outside of the meals and said, could I actually just buy a box of these truffles? And um, so I was like, yeah, it can't be that hard. Let me just go ahead and start. <laughs> and um, yeah, a few years later, I've now realized why a lot of people were not making chocolates. Um, so, I mean, we started making the chocolates uh, and they were available, I think, around uh, 2015 in Ghana. And we finally decided to focus during COVID. Um, we had to close the kitchen. And at that point, um, it was clear to me that we needed to sort of think about how how do we get our products to where people are? While um, and that was a perfect opportunity because the chocolates could be sent anywhere, and so we decided that we were going to focus on the chocolates, especially while the kitchen was closed. And um, let's see, I decided because of all the legal stuff that I was not going to be a chocolate maker, but I and I wasn't sure how to navigate that process when I started. So I said, okay, I'm a chef. I I know flavor. What I can do is I can add a lot of value by adding amazing flavors to the chocolate. So we work with um, a chocolate maker that produces the chocolate in Ghana, and we buy it from them as coverture. And so as chocolatiers, what we do is we make the finished bonbons, truffles, and other products with it. And for me, it was a beautiful way to take a lot of spices and flavors that were lesser known and find ways to integrate it into chocolate. So for me, it was like, people know chocolate. And then people don't know these spices. When you bring them together, you create a space for a conversation. And it's actually something that is is a bit maybe more approachable and easy for people to kind of navigate around. So it was also fantastic for me because I had sort of been spending a lot of time with these ingredients more in a savory context. And um, I just kept having these combinations of sweet, savory and like, you know, bringing things that you would never think would go with chocolate with chocolate and it was working and I just said okay great this is the platform where we can actually have a conversation about new African cuisine how do we bring these ingredients that are not known um, to people how do we um, get them to try it uh, in a in a way that feels fun and safe and how do we tell their stories through our chocolate um, and so then Need a New Chocolates was born. <laughs> I'm at a lot of words because one, I can't imagine just running the kitchen alone and meeting new experiences and all of that. It's probably mm -hmm. a full-time job and a half. And so deciding to add a product line, which I think is a really great idea, mm -hmm. um, just taking on that new skill set just sounds like really incredible to me. Um, and as you talked about the spices and infusing them with chocolate, I thought it would be great for you to share some of the um, examples of the products you have in terms of the um, spices that you're infusing and what they yeah. are so that as people go and then you can share where people can find them so as people go into the site they have an understanding of your creative process yeah. well maybe I'll, I'll start off with some of the spices so we have a, a new collection that we're, we have for uh this season and it was it's for me it's really inspired by discovery mm. um and exploring and falling in love with new flavors and so what i did was i tried to find some lesser known blends, but also things that you may not have thought about trying with chocolate. So um, we have a Kalahari desert salt uh, that we have in there. We have a um, Hawash, which is um, a Somali spice that I, I learned about from um, Hawa Hassan. And um, in her book, you know, she shares a recipe for it. And that's the one that we've used for, for that. Uh, we have Prekase. Prekase is a 
a spice that we use a lot in Ghana uh, for different things, mostly savory and soups, but it has a beautiful buttery uh, caramel notes. And I think it pairs really well with chocolate. It's been fantastic using an ingredient, which is also at risk of going extinct. It's in the areas where there's a lot of deforestation in Ghana. And so for me, it's been like, how do we call attention to this ingredient? How do we get more people excited about this ingredient? So those trees have more value. Um, we also have something like Dawa Dawa, um, which is fermented locust bean. It's so interesting because you find these amazing umami flavors in our savory soups with this, yeah. um, this, 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 uh, this ferment. And when you put it in chocolate, it actually sings. It's, it's a beautiful flavor. And that one has been an interesting one because when I started with that idea, my team was like, <laughs> chef, chef, that's that's really yeah. not how we use it. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. This is not how we use it, but this is how we're gonna use it. And so, um, whenever we do our R and D trials, we you know we test everything out, and then at the end of the week, we're sort of like we sit down and we try everything. So I just remember that trial um, with each truffle. You know, I cut it in half, and then everyone gets half. And then we sit down, we talk about it. Does it need to have more? Do we need to put more spice in there? Do we need to take the spice down? And um, when the when when the team tasted it, it was amazing because they went from almost not wanting to try it because it was like they were like yeah. very skeptical. And then when they tried it, they were like, wow, this is our favorite. And so recently we were trying to submit it into a competition and I was like, which truffle should we submit? And they were like, this is our favorite. Oh. We think it says I mean, it's amazing because they, they literally didn't want to try it. And now they're like, this is our favorite truffle. Um, so it goes to show you that I think just trying new things um, and going a little bit outside of your comfort zone really can, can do a lot. Yeah. Um, so every season we have um, 12 flavors that we focus our truffles on. Um, so the truffles, I would say, is probably what we're most well known for in terms of our products. Um, so we have new and old flavors um, that span. So for example, rooibos tea um, from South Africa, we've used the rooibos plus honey um, for one of our truffles, um, as an example, the design on the truffle um, uses a textile that's very famous in South Africa called shui shui. Oh, so, yeah. like, shui shui. so, so, like, it's it's been a very interesting process because yeah. one, it's like, what's a flavor that people need to know about, and then two, how does it work? Is it going to be with milk chocolate, dark chocolate, white? You know, how is it going to be? And then when we get to that level, then it's going to be like, what is the name of the truffle? Because I feel that every truffle should have a name. And I've been focusing it on different people who have inspired either me or are inspirational in general um, in terms of the work that they've done. And that's the name that I give to the truffle. And then the piece that's also interesting is the um, design. So um, every truffle um, has different pattern on top of it. And so I've tried to link them back to the country or the region where the flavor is coming from. Um, and uh, it's been it's been really just, just exciting. We sometimes also use traditional techniques. So we do a lot of smoking in West Africa and um, there's a, a smoked water that you find on the coastal parts of Ghana. And so I took that smoking technique and we did a smoked cream truffle. Um, oh. And it's named after Sanaya, who's the woman who taught me how to that that technique actually. So that sounds so good. A smoked truffle. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we have the truffles. The truffles are sort of like our classic, but we've also um, done drinking chocolate. So we have a classic milk chocolate that actually just won a the Northwest um, Chocolate Alliance Award this uh, past year in 2022. Congratulations. Thank you. And then we have another one which is a dark chocolate, 
um, that has spices from West Africa, including Prekase and a few others. Um, that one won in 2021 um, for the Chocolate Alliance Award. So it's really exciting to see yeah. um, that they're not just flavors that, you know, are quote unquote interesting, but they've been, you know, they taste great and people yeah. understand the flavors and, and are accepting them. So that's been really super exciting to see. Um, so we have those drinking chocolates available every season. We have a a new flavor that we're introducing. So this season we have a new one, which is um, Layla. It's a drinking chocolate with North African spices that are blended in with a hint of rose. So um, this season is kind of about love. So there's a little hints of rose here and there. And um, we also have candles that are inspired by these as well. So um, we have the last season, we had the Yaw Truffle, um, the Yaw Truffle and the Yaw Candle. So um, there's a, a very sort of important woman in Ghanaian history. Her name was Yaw Santua, and she was a warrior, um, queen mother, and um, so many other things. And so I wanted that to be to represent sort of the strong independence of, of women. And so we did a candle and that one has uh, ginger saffron uh and cardamom notes along with dark chocolate so well, let's see, i'm gonna buy everything on your website <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. one because like i didn't know about the yes i'm talking about one i'm also i was born on a thursday so i'm a yeah okay <laughs> i feel like i need to have one in my home just to be like yes oh, who I am. um that's fantastic. And so just for our audience, um, because we have a lot of people um, in the diaspora in the US and the UK, Canada, around the world, but then also people on the continent that listen to the show. So for those that are listening and like me want to just <laughs> jump on and go get something, where can they find um, the chocolates um, and all of the other related products to buy? Yes. Um, so you're able to get us. Um, we have we're in Ghana. Um, we also have a direct-to-consumer uh, website in the U.S. that also services Canada. Um, and then we have a retailer in Nigeria. But for everyone that's just, you can go online. It's M-I-D-U-N-U, chocolate with an S. So Midinu Chocolates with an S, uh, dot com. And um, I would love to share a discount code so that everyone can get. Uh, oh, thank you. This is the people. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, so it's going to be item thirteen ten. So okay. um, you can just put that in as you get to the um, the cart, and then that will give you a ten percent discount. Oh, off your I'm going to use that too. <laughs> Good. Um, and and for everyone listening, you know, you know, and for everyone who's listening for a long time, I will put all of this in the show notes. So I'll link to Selassie's website, um, social media accounts, um, and specifically the chocolate's website, so you can get it. And then also include the the discount code in the show notes, so that as you listen, you can scroll and. But I would I would love to also ask: um, Is there any flavor you would love to see in the chocolates? Oh me! Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh wow! You put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I will say that, like, I was very interested in, I was actually going to message you separately, but <laughs> I can share this publicly. Like, I'm very interested in the Dawa Dawa um, chocolates okay. because I'm working, you know, you probably know, um, working at a spot in Accra that's mm-hmm. really leaning into that. And I could see us doing more around Dawa Dawa yeah. infusions. And I like the idea of chocolates being like, like people coming to Dawa Dawa and knowing that Midunu Dawa Dawa chocolates are always there. Um, yeah. So that's one that piqued my interest. Nice. 
That one is in the collection this season. So um, if you get the 12 piece box, you'll get all 12 flavors. And that one is actually named um, Talata. The Talata truffle is actually the Dawa Dawa truffle. Um, she is the person um, that we um, work with for the candle. So um, she and I have been kind of having this collaboration. So I named the truffle after her. And then the pattern on that is actually inspired oh, yeah. by the mud cloth in um, Sahelian parts of, of West Africa. I love that. Yeah. So the dog for sure. I like that. That's in there. Oh, no. What other? Because I'm always looking for different things. Um, there's a yeah. few things on my list that I haven't tried yet. Um, I'm trying to figure out what to do with cola nut. I'm trying to figure out what to do with um, tiger nut. Um, Actually, that might be interesting because I like that. It will probably be super milky, right? Like, yeah. I need to figure out exactly how to work with it. Yeah. Um, either that or as a, almost like a brittle, like, you know? And I'm sure this is already in there, like, but a mix of coconut and something else. Like, I'm yes, I, I'm just um, thinking about coconut. Um, you know, the coconut, uh, they're not brittles, but they're like little balls. Little balls the kube cake. Yes. yes. Yeah. We actually did that. Um, what we did was we made like the kube cake. So it's basically like a peanut brittle, like you caramelize the sugar and then you add shredded coconut to it. So we made that. And then we broke it up and then added it into a milk chocolate ganache and then had hints of orange blossom water. Oh my god, is that in the 12 box dimension? No, that was that was that was last collection. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so good. Um yeah, because I'm a big coconut fan. Okay. Um great, awesome. Ooh, I'm excited. Um and it's good. It's close to Valentine's Day. It's also almost my birthday, so I'm gonna treat myself. <laughs> nice. Yes. Um to that too. Um great. So before we transition to our rapid fire questions, um, what's when you look on the horizon, like what's next for you? Like what's the next big thing in terms of the vision you have for the work that you're doing? Um, let's see. I mean, I, the chocolates is going to be a big focus for the next little while. Um, I think it's um, for me, success looks like when I can get the chocolates to as many places as possible so that these spices will be used and these um women's cooperatives and stuff can actually start to see an, a, a difference and an impact yeah. in their lives. And then for me, once the chocolates are doing uh, well, the next thing is to kind of dive back into the Meet a New Institute. I think it's important for us to document the stuff, for us to have a, a, a sense of where do these ingredients come from? Where are these recipes that are kind of dying out? How do we make sure we capture all this knowledge and how do we... Um, do some of that behavior change communications uh, to get more people to be excited about indigenous and local ingredients. Cool. Well, I'm excited. Um, Thank you. All right. Rapid fire questions. These are like okay. first, thought, first thought that comes to mind. Don't overthink okay. it. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and they're usually pretty easy. So first one, what's the one ingredient you can't live without? Prekase. Uh, are you a morning person or a night person? Morning. Would you rather lose your sense of smell or taste? Hmm. Smell. And then would you ha rather have more money or more free time? More free time. And then the last one is, who would you rather meet? Your ancestors or your future descendants? My ancestors. Well, that's the end of our conversation. I'm so honored to have you and chat with you, Salasi. I learned a lot, especially about the chocolate industry. I know that I'm going to go on the site right now and get my chocolates <laughs> before they are sold out. <laughs> Thank you. And yeah, this I, again, like I said, I said, I said to you, I, I said to, to Chef Pierre and 
a couple of other people that I've gotten the privilege of speaking to that um, the work is important. I know that a lot of the work is also unseen behind mm-hmm. the scenes um, and not um, probably don't get the credit <laughs> that you deserve. And so when I have the opportunity to, I just want to say on behalf of the community, um, thank you for the work that you do in this space. And thank you. I know um, we've known each other for a few years and it's just been kind of serendipitous that we, like our paths crossed. Um, but I think, I think if I remember correctly, it was before this podcast was even a thought. So I think the work that you're doing is amazing and um, giving a platform for some of the African storytellers and just African cuisine in general is so important because um, we need to actually control our narr- narrative and share our narrative let me say that again. Um, I um, I think the work you're doing is amazing. It's important for us to have spaces and places and people who share our narrative because um, for too long, we have not had our voices heard and the work you're doing is so important. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Item 13 is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.